Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. First, it was the fires, then came the flooding. It seems like just yesterday we were talking about super dry weather and wind-fueled wildfires in New Mexico. It was a historic wildfire season with hundreds of homes burned along with ranches, forest land, and a lot more. While monsoonal moisture has in part stopped the fires, the same communities that dealt with wildfire all over New Mexico, they are still struggling to recover and many of them are now dealing with flooding concerns. Yeah, this is something I learned about when I first moved to New Mexico. All through the dry season, people seem to be praying for that rain and those monsoons and then come the monsoons and concern quickly shifts to flooding over burned scars and that dry earth doesn't quite soak up the rain. I know firefighters even who have you know, just spent all season battling wildfires, then shift gears and start delivering sandbags and start that mitigation effort to protect structures from flood damage. New Mexico's largest wildfire on record, that's the Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon fire that sparked in April and burned well over 300,000 acres. It also displaced families. It burned at least 400 homes in that fire. It also left behind a massive burn scar in areas that are particularly vulnerable for flooding. And those floodwaters did prove deadly in San Miguel County when three people were killed, swept away from their destroyed home in the Tecolote Canyon area in San Miguel County. Really quick before we start, I think we should also mention where this is. This is west of Las Vegas. And for those who don't know, Las Vegas is about a two hour drive north from Albuquerque. With us on the line is Travis Martinez. He's the public information officer for the New Mexico Department of Transportation District 4 in Las Vegas, New Mexico. Travis, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. No problem. So first, I I know we have limited time with you. So can you tell us just a little bit about the flooding deaths in San Miguel? We understand the initial report came in as a capsized vehicle in the Tecolote Creek Channel. What can you tell us? Yeah, so initially the report came out that there was uh, obviously flooding in the area, and then people did report that there was a a vehicle in the channel. So as uh, first responders uh, got out there, um, they were, I think it was believed it was a Cabo Lucero Volunteer Fire Department, um, and they were actually on on this side of the 283. So there was actual, uh, on a low water crossing structure, some other first responders were not able to get there immediately, but the fire department did get there located the the vehicle, but then also discovered the the destroyed home. So that's when they uh, began to understand that not only the home and a vehicle, so they got to see, was anyone in the vehicle? Was anybody in the home? And then as law enforcement got there, they started searching and then they did discover, uh, unfortunately, some deceased. So there was flash flooding in that area on July 21 when this call came in. Um, You know, for the city folks that are out there, I think a lot of us, you know, live in neighborhoods that are obviously uh, densely urbanized. What is the scene that you guys are seeing out there? Can you describe the area where this happened and and what kind of weather you guys were experiencing that day? You know, so it's a subdivision out. It's a mountainous area. It's a beautiful area. You know, there's trees all the way around you, a creek running through. This this structure is actually close, very close to the, the, the creek channel. So as the, the water came, was raining up above, the accumulation of that rainwater comes together, obviously built some momentum, and then it got further down to this structure. And that's where it took out the home. 
and uh, buried one of the vehicles, I believe, and then took another vehicle that was swept away into the channel. Wow. So it just flooded that creek, it sounds like. Correct. And roughly how many people would you say live out in that area? You know, in that area, I I would say anywhere between 50 and 100 in that area. Um, That was just an approximate number. Um, I'd have to look further for that information. The press release did mention, you know, that the home was destroyed. Was this a mobile home and was it destroyed by the flood to your knowledge? It was destroyed by the flood water and the debris. And it was, a, I believe, a two story uh, like log cabin type of uh, residence. You know, a summer home is what it was, a summer home. When Cruz saw that, um, did you hear some of just the descriptions, you know, the stories that they were talking about? seeing this, as you mentioned, a two-story structure being taken away by water? Well, I think the fact that where, where it was close in the proximity of the channel, I think they understood, um, obviously, with the flooding that they were seeing as well, they understood how, how devastating uh, the waters were going were gonna to be. And the fact that the structure was close to that creek bed, they, they understood what had happened. Um, and at that point, you know, it was, they're automatically and search and rescue mode. They're looking for anybody, you know, who's in that residence and establishing that. uh, And that's basically what search and rescue were focusing on. So that search and rescue operation, what happens in one of those types of situations? Can you describe just sort of how that operation functions? What does it entail? You know, for the most part, you know, as far as that, the way the search and rescue actually goes together. I know that San Miguel County Sheriff's Office were taking lead on this. Obviously, it's a county issue, but they had a lot of assistance. You know, you have volunteer fire in the area. New Mexico State Police get involved. The New Mexico National Guard was out there as well. Um, you know, later on, um, I believe there was some search and uh, search dogs that were sent out to, to assist with the, the recovery. So, you know, they, they established pretty quick uh, the San Miguel County Sheriff's Department. So they, they assess the issue. They understand what's going on. They're trained what to do. Um, and then obviously you have just assistance. We've had that presence of, uh, how do you say, increased presence of New Mexico State Police Officers, obviously the National Guard, New Mexico National Guard. So you do have resources and people right away, uh, they transition into that that search and rescue mode. When you have massive floods like that, though, and rains, I imagine like you can't fly a helicopter very easily and see, you know, an aerial view of what's going on when you're looking for someone. Are there boats? How, how are they searching? Yeah. These channels, you know, as you can't really search all that well as the event is occurring. So, you know, search and rescue will get somewhere and there's flooding. You can't really go into obviously the structure that's been destroyed uh, until you assess, you know, is it safe or we start looking around. Same thing with the waters. I mean, some of these channels, they're not very big. The, the banks aren't that, you know, wide in some areas they may be. But when you get that amount of water that comes down, I mean, it's, it, it just, you know, it starts getting out of the bank area. Roads begin to flood. Um, and that's where you just, you know, the, the how dramatic it is. You know, you just have to step back and, and get out of m- Mother Nature's way. And the fires were so devastating in your community, particularly to then have to shift gears and immediately worry about flooding. Tell us a little bit about that. What kind of precautions were people taking there to protect properties and, and such from those floodwaters? You know, San Miguel was they, they, they were on it right away. You know, a lot of the leadership that they have at the county level, um, including Sheriff uh, Chris Lopez, you know, he's he's actually was a trained uh, wildfire uh, personnel. So he, he understood, he, he knew what was coming. He knew what was happening. 
He was vital in a lot of the decision-making uh, pertaining to public safety and evacuations during the wildfire. But he also, at that point, when you start to transition from uh, you know, response to recovery, you, you, you're also transitioning to response for flooding. So you have one disaster as far as the fire, it starts to slow down. It seems like we got it contained. Uh, but then you start looking, okay, now what? What do we need to do from here? And and you start looking at infrastructure. You know, a lot of the utility companies were out trying to to repair. I think in the Guyanus Canyon, there was no power. So they had to work on t- to get power reestablished in that area for people as they repopulated. And then as the environmental department began to to get in there and, and the, the programs for debris removal. And all in the background, the county is sitting back and and trying to figure out, you know, we're going to have flooding. We're mon- monsoon season is around the corner, and they were very aware of that. They were trying to to establish those mitigation efforts to how do we slow down flooding? Where is the flooding going to occur? How, as far as infrastructure, if there's a, a slide or something, can law enforcement get out there? Um, how are we going to monitor these rain events, these monsoon uh, events, and they're very, very proactive. They're, the sheriff's department is out. You know, uh, New Mexico State Police, I believe, is also out there. When these rain events are happening, National Weather Service has been very on on top of it. New Mexico, the National Weather Service there in Albuquerque, are sending out these these alerts and and making all those aware that are the key players, whether it's the New Mexico State Police or the county, whether it's Mora or San Miguel. Uh, get alerts are aware of, of rain. Obviously, we watch the news, so we know that rain's in the forecast. So you have patrol, excuse me, you have deputies out there from the sheriff's department patrolling these areas that basically have been established as burn scarred areas that, you know, at some point, there's nothing to hold back any debris, no water. You know, vegetation was burnt uh, tremendously. Along those lines of knowing what to expect, I think when most people think about these fires, they know that when they occur, the ground gets burned. And because of that, it's not able to absorb as much water. That's kind of a, a basic thing I think a lot of people know. But can you maybe give us just a bit more understanding as to, you know, why these burn scars are so vulnerable and how, how you guys sort of know where to look out for maybe? So the, the incident management teams, you know, they're in the Forest Service. They have... Uh, these bear teams that go out and they do assessments over all of these areas and they can, they can specify this area was severely burned. It was scorched. You know, there's nothing going to grow there. The, the nutrients have been kind of taken out of the soil. And, and then there's other areas, you know, there's levels that they do all of these, uh, these monitoring. So they give these reports out. So they, they, all this information will be distributed to the, the agencies that are involved. So whether it's the city of Las Vegas, the village of Mora, uh, San Miguel County, Mora County, they get all this information and they can, they understand where areas are going to be impacted. Um, they also understand, you know, a lot of, uh, efforts from the forest service and other agencies can establish, well, where are your watersheds? Where are all these little arroyos and these collectors that we eventually meet somewhere and will produce a large amount of water coming down and how far can it go? What's the speed that it can go? Um, what type of debris is going to come down as well? Um, that's important, you know, uh, I think most people need to understand and, and I, you know, I didn't under, didn't think of this at the time. Flooding that happened at the end of July, uh, June rather, is totally different from what we're getting now in July. Because as you have these flooding events that have been happening at the end of June, smaller debris maybe came down and well, all that debris is not holding back that larger debris now. 
and that larger debris gets loosened up eventually or it gets dammed up through through flooding at the beginning of june or the end of june and as this it breaks the camel's back in, in a sense uh and then here comes large amount of debris and that's where infrastructure can be impacted um unfortunately we have uh the incident that we had on the 21st so that's where the county and the state, you know, the Department of Homeland Security has been instrumental in just getting that information out there. Be prepared. Oh, Travis, are you are you still there? Did we lose you? Yeah, here you go. Hey. It dropped out, but we've got you on through a phone call here now. Can you hear right, us? Yeah, I can hear you good. I just wanted to ask you, the the three victims that we had in those floods, you mentioned how everybody was trying to prepare and new flooding could come. But I did notice that all three of these victims were from Texas and this was maybe a summer home. Do you know if they were just maybe there for the summer on vacation and, and maybe didn't know or did they get alerted? No, I think they, they were actually were alerted by the sheriff's department. They were aware they actually had some flooding previously in the area. So they were informed, I think just the magnitude of the flooding event, I think just came in and over and took over the situation. But they were, yeah, they were aware of, and they had been there um, for a while. So they did, they were aware. Okay. But they were, were they permanent residents of San Miguel County or just visiting from Texas? I believe they were visiting from Texas. I would have to re, uh, reconfirm that with law enforcement, with the sheriff's department. But from what I gathered, it was this was a summer home. They were down here for the summer. I think when I look at the totality of this, right, we had months of news coverage about fires. It was ever present, I think, for most New Mexicans who were, you know, watching and keeping up with New Mexico news. On the other hand, once the fires leave, there is still a threat of flooding, but it certainly does not make as big of a, a headline out there from just my personal view. And I wanted to just ask you, this seems like for you guys up there in San Miguel County, it has been a nonstop sort of sprint from maybe since April to not only deal with fires, but then continue to deal with flooding. How do you guys feel? What is the mood about the, the sort of how you're dealing with weather over the last, what has it been, uh, four months, five months here? Yeah. I mean, it's been a high level of of concern, high level of stress, obviously, with, you know, when you see the fire, you know, over the hill and it's coming to your city, you know, the communities out there stay in uh, the Mineral Hill area, the Gainas area. You go to Mora and the villages up there, Holman and Chacon, and they, you know, to wake up every day and, and you see fire, you smell, uh, you know, the smoke every day, you know, and you're dealing with it 24 7. And you don't know during the fire, Part, you don't know if you're going to be evacuated and and there was a lot of you know emergency management here in San Miguel were on it they were telling you know expressing to people and letting them know we have a shelter set up and all these motions that are coming together you you, you never have time to stop and you know as the office of emergency management the sheriff's department the county uh, department that we're working just all together to get anything that they needed to get done as far as uh, response. And like I said, you're, it's tiring. I think at the end of the day, you know, it may be 11, 1130 before you go home, but you're tired, but your, your adrenaline is there. You know what you have to do. You know what you have to get done. And, and as far as the communities, you know, I can understand the frustration that, that many communities have because it, you, you, you start with COVID and we get out of COVID and then we have wildfires. And then after wildfires, now it is a new threat of, of flooding. 
And I think you look at it and say, when is, when do we get a breather? And, uh, that's the, the struggle that most people do have. And, and that recovery, uh, that you're trying to, you're trying to do, you know, at that recovery level is, is how many, how long is it going to take? You know, it's easy to sit here and say, well, no, we're in recovery. Well, how long? Years? You know, as months? And, and that's the hard part. And I think that's the frustrating part. But here in Northern New Mexico, I mean, a lot of people, the communities came together. A lot of volunteers were involved and, and you just see the, the, the state was involved tremendously in, in doing what they can, where they can. Uh, and that was also positive. So everyone coming together, I think we're tired. Um, but we just, we just have to keep going on and, and get through it. Travis, is there anything we didn't ask you that you think people should know about San Miguel or, or the community there? You, you touched a little bit on how you guys are, are kind of feeling tired, but is there anything else that you think is important to talk about? You know, the, it's, it's important to, for people to understand that the magnitude of the fire and the flooding, you know, it's two counties. And at one point it was four counties and more on San Miguel were, they were devastated. And, and a lot of these communities, we're not going to see them the way they were uh, for years to come. I mean, I may not see it in my lifetime, um, but I just want to just make sure that, that the state understands and, and the, 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 the whole country understands that, New Mexico strong is important. And just to see how everyone comes together and is helping each other out um, is very important. From people, retired law enforcement, uh, to volunteer firefighters that don't get paid anything, they're, they're still out there helping. And, and that's very important to understand and, and to reassure. And, and that's the, the hope that we have that these communities, we continue to do that and be each other's uh, shoulder to lean on. And that's something that's very proud and, and makes, makes it understand that we are New Mexico strong. Thanks again to Travis Martinez for taking the time to talk with us about all of the issues that they've been facing there in San Miguel County. And I just wanted to read briefly from the press release that the San Miguel County's Sheriff's Office, Chris Lopez is the sheriff up there, they sent out this news release on July 26th saying that their office confirmed the recovery of a third missing flood victim from that Tecolote Canyon area that we were just talking about. It was a joint recovery operation. They found the bodies of 62-year-old Jimmy Chris Cummings in the Tecolote Creek Channel. He was from Hale Center, Texas, and presumed missing after a flash flood event that occurred on July 21st. After that initial investigation, two other people were also presumed missing after officials discovered a destroyed residence along that Tecolote Creek Canyon area in that subdivision. They also found 62-year-old Linda June Cumming and 84-year-old Betty Greenhaw, also from Hale Center, Texas. Just goes to show you how... I think those flash flood stories, they sneak up on everybody every year to deadly consequence for many people. Unfortunately, when we think of those who died in the fire and flooding events, it has all been folks in their later years of life. Um, and it's just a, a good reminder to really 
be attentive of the weather that's incoming. And if you think that you are at risk, take yourself out of that situation. Or your neighbors at risk. I mean, they mentioned this is a rural area, but you know, it's hard to kind of put yourself in that in that mind frame when we live here and like Chris said, an urban community when all of our neighbors are so close by. It's very different uh, landscape up there for our neighbors in northern New Mexico. On Friday, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham signed executive orders declaring a state of emergency in the city of Las Vegas due to burn scar flooding threatening the area's drinking water supply. In a news release on Friday, the governor says her orders make $2.25 million in state emergency funding available to assist the local government there with emergency measures, help prevent additional damage, repair public infrastructure, and to lessen the overall recovery time related to wildfire impacts and burn scar flooding. We appreciate you joining us this week. We will have another episode next week if you want to reach out. I'm at Chris McKee TV on social media, so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, you can also reach me at email, chris.mckee at krqe.com. Send any uh, questions, suggestions, story ideas our way. And I'm at uh, gabrielle.burkhard at krqe.com via email and gburknm on social media. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>